okay, 21 states require financial literacy education for our kids. What, the kids in the other 29 states don't matter? That's really what we're saying here. Does talking about your money make you cringe? Are you tired of fighting about finances? Do you want to stop sabotaging your financial happiness? Then you are in the right place. Welcome to Breaking Money Silence, a podcast series aimed at helping all of us talk more openly about money. Your host, Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, is a wealth psychology expert who is doing what she does best, speaking about taboo topics. International speaker, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection, Kathleen understands money and our relationship with it. Over the past decade, she has empowered thousands of people to break money silence at home and at work. Now, here is Kathleen. This episode is sponsored by Life Transitions by Dr. Amy. Helping financial advisors and their clients have deeper, more meaningful conversations so that life changes are better connected to financial plans. To find out more, visit dramy.life. Today, we have a very special podcast episode. We are talking about how the financial literacy education system has failed and what can be done about it. In the United States, there are only 21 U.S. schools that have some form of personal uh, finance education. And often, these are mixed in with other classes. They're not necessarily standalone classes. Now, there is a variety of legislation that has been uh, put into place to change this, but this is a battle that's been going on for a long time. And so my guest today, Michelle Arpin-Bagina, is somebody who has been involved in this battle and she has won. So she's gonna talk to us a little bit about uh, what it is about the financial literacy system, and I'm, I'm thinking in the more traditional system, that hasn't really worked so well in terms of educating young people and adults about money. And then we'll talk about how she was able to be victorious in getting her state to do something very different. So Michelle, welcome to the podcast today. Thank you, Kathleen. And thanks for this opportunity to talk about such an important topic. Let's start with the whole idea of financial literacy training. Some people who are listening in might know about that, some might not. So can we just start by having you define why it's important to teach young people about personal finance? Mm -hmm. Great question. So I think it's important because we do, I think, a relatively good job of focusing on what I'll call careers and income. So I think we're more interested in teaching people and giving them the skills to go out and be able to earn a living and then not what to do with their money once they are earning that income. And I think there's a huge disconnect there. And where it shows up is in things like we have people with over a million dollars of student loan debt in this country right now. Yikes. It shows up in buying into the mischaracterizations of people who have wealth and we confuse income with wealth. We don't know things like the average American has $9,000 of net worth and we're buying into, I think a lot of times, somebody else's definition of the American dream. You know, who, 
I just have never accepted that the dream is the white picket fence, a house and 2.5 kids. Like my American dream is much bigger than that. I think most people's are. And we also have a taboo, which you are an expert in around talking about money. You know, there's a statistic out there that really shocked me as a financial advisor, which is 64% of people with a financial advisor don't feel like they have anyone to talk with about their money. And I think where we're going wrong in our system is that we're not emphasizing financial literacy in a matter of fact way where on the one hand, we're going to teach this, the knowledge and the skills. And on the other, we're going to make the associations between the social emotional piece, which is we have behavioral biases that are just built into us biologically. And we have emotions that can either greatly fuel our ambitions and help us make all the right decisions, or those emotions can fuel us in a different direction where they get us stuck and prevent us and prevent us from making the decisions, maybe based on our program and our in our beliefs that we get from home, society, schools, everywhere. So what's interesting to me is you raised two different issues. One, the idea that school is really about preparing for career, but after career, what do you do with the income that you're earning? I think that's a really interesting perspective. And I know for me, when I look back, and I'm an older Gen Xer, I can remember that it was all about career. And we did have one finance class, but it was about like, you know, maybe a week long, and it was about taxes and I failed miserably at it, I'd happy to report I do my taxes much better now as an adult. <laughs> and, um, and that's certainly that. <laughs> not enough. So, that, so that's fascinating in itself. But then the other piece that you're talking about is the idea that we don't have training that actually builds in the emotional side of finance. And one of the things I used to say, or I still say, I guess, is that financial literacy training needs to involve not only the skills and knowledge around finance, but it also needs to include our insight, that emotional intelligence, that social emotional piece that you just mentioned. So why do you think that's left out of so many financial literacy courses? I think there's a couple of things. I, I think probably in the last 25, 30 years or so, concepts like behavioral biases and behavioral coaching and the psychology of everything, I think have has it's starting to go from being in the you know towers of the ivy institutions out into mainstream and i think we're seeing that on podcasts and lots of books on the market so i think there's been this this shift right where the academics have been researching this and our school systems and our parents and the rest of us haven't really caught up with all this research but it's it's really time and just as a little aside, Kathleen, you just made me think about the one and only financial literacy lesson, not even an education curriculum that I received was from my reading teacher in the third grade who taught us how to balance a checkbook. Cool. Period. End of sentence. That was <laughs> it. And then the rest was watching the train wreck of my parents handling their money. So... <laughs> There you go. Yeah, you didn't have, I don't know if you want to say a few words, but you didn't have uh, the best role models. I think I was fortunate and then my parents did teach me how to balance checkbooks and 
you know, do the basics around finance, but certainly nothing about investment and, and you know, talking about emotions. Ooh, I became a therapist mm-hmm. in my former life just to rebel. So, but for you, what were those messages like? Because balancing a checkbook certainly isn't enough. It's very interesting you bring up my parents. We, we had completely opposite experiences, Kathleen. So my parents didn't talk about any of the investing knowledge or general knowledge around financial literacy, but I sure got the role models on the social emotional part because my parents were spendthrifts and spendthrifts for those of you who may not understand that word or just get confused by it. A lot of people think that spendthrift means being thrifty when you spend your money. What spendthrift means is that you spend all of your money. And the word thrift used to mean prosperity. So spendthrift means to spend your prosperity. So what I like to say is that I actually grew up with a poverty of prosperity. My parents knew how to earn a living. They made a great income and they spent every dime of it. Uh, So things like having a brand new Corvette when I was a senior, not me, but my father having a brand new Corvette when I was a senior in high school and we couldn't afford groceries or buying a yacht. there's a disconnect. Yep. Yeah. Or buying a yacht with my college fund at the end of my senior year and then telling me, you're on your own. I don't have the money to send you to college. I could go on and on, but what people didn't know from the outside looking in is we look like a very successful family of four. And what people didn't know is that my parents were always down to their last five bucks every time they bought a big ticket item. And the only reason they were able to afford these items is because the business they were running ran very large account receivables, and then very large checks would come in. So it was very feast or famine. They were typical you know, business owners that did not have consistent cash flow. But man, when they came into checks, it was like there was this pent up demand to go spend all the money and they did it big. They did it big. That said, I consider my parents very successful people. They were just very inconsistent with their money and they were a lot more consistent in other areas of their of their lives and it really was a shame because i remember growing up thinking <laughs> to myself i never had the nerve to say this out loud but i would just observe my parents and think to myself the two of you have all the ingredients to go from ho-hum to hot damn with your money but you just can't seem to get out of your own way and It was actually watching my parents and thinking stuff like that, that really led me to become who I am and to do what I do for a living because I didn't have the knowledge or the skills or maybe the gall when I was 10 or 12 or 16 years old thinking this stuff to actually be able to coach my parents and help them to do better. But I desperately would have liked to. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. I think certainly where we come from often informs uh, where we end up. And, and I think no kid should have to coach their parents. I think what is really cool is that then you are taking your history and doing so many corrective actions, not only in your own life, but certainly uh, in the school system. So tell me, tell me a little bit about how you think if behavioral finance or financial psychology was part of the curriculum in high school, 
or even in middle school, how that would be helpful for our kids when it came to their financial literacy as adults? Well, if we just pick apart the behavioral finance piece for a second, what's cool about teaching biases, because that's a large part of what behavioral finance is, is recognizing things like when we are overconfident in our decision, our decisions, and or in our thinking about our decisions, and then knowing, okay, well, the anecdote to being overconfident is to seek out opposing opinions. So what I mean by this by for your listeners is, let's say that you're you're thinking about a certain decision and you really feel very certain about it and you're not being open to other points of view, the devil's advocate approach, so to speak, that's actually a sign that you need to open up and receive more information so that you're making a more complete decision. And what's great about behavioral finance is when you're being taught biases, it applies to any area of your life, finance, health, you name it, it applies to everything. So I think learning our natural biases that are both biological and then also come from our social conditioning, I think applies across the board. They just It just really happens to help with finances. The psychology piece to me, Kathleen, you're a therapist, you know better than I do on this, but to me, the psychology piece is really more your mindset, where that mindset comes from, whether or not you have a growth or a fixed way of looking at life, whether you think you can develop the skills for something or whether you think you're born with it, whether you are trying to live out someone else's expectations, kind of going back to the American dream comment that we talked about a few minutes ago, or whether you're marching to the beat of your own drum and you're okay with feeling disappointment of others when you're not doing what they think that you should be doing. And then the last is, is your heart really in it, right? The things that you're going after, are they really the ones that you, you want to be going after? And or are you phoning it in? And it's really not that important to you. So I think all of that psychology and the behavioral biases, all of all of that has nothing to do with having knowledge, let's say, of the markets or investing or types of insurances or which retirement plan to pick for your small business. So to me, they're very, very distinct. And I think we just are getting a glass half full kind of approach to the conversation in our school system. We just need to broaden the definition. Yeah, I would agree, because I think if financial literacy training, the way it's been taught traditionally, which is more the technical side without this behavioral finance emotional piece, that we would have seen a change in our financial literacy rates. There would have been something that would have been dramatic as opposed to really being kind of stuck for a long period of time. So mm-hmm. in a moment, I am going to have you tell us the story about you and your home state and deciding you wanted to do something about the lack of behavioral finance in financial literacy training. But first, we're going to take a quick break. I'll be back in a minute with Michelle arpin Bagini. Hey, it's Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, and I just wanted to say thank you for listening to the Breaking Money Silence podcast. I hope you're enjoying today's episode. 
I wanted to just tell you about a service that I provide that may be of interest to you or your family or one of your clients. It's individual money mindset coaching. What does that mean? That means I work with individuals to help them identify their automatic thoughts and beliefs about money and help them feel more comfortable and confident when it comes to finances. It is a short-term program that can really take you from being uncomfortable or a little fearful around money to being really confident. So if you're interested in finding out more, feel free to email me at kbk at breakingmoneysilence.com. And let's set up a quick phone call and see if Money Mindset Coaching is for you. We are back and we're talking about financial literacy education. The fact that only 21 schools in the U.S. actually require some personal financial education. And when we look at what is actually being taught to young people, there's really a huge missing component. And that is behavioral finance and and certainly what I do, the psychology of money. And so Michelle Arpin Bajini is with us and she's talking about her thoughts about it, but I want her to tell her story because it is amazing, Michelle, what you were able to do, I believe in your home state of Jersey in terms of making a huge difference. So fill the listeners in. Thank you for the opportunity. It's actually one of my favorite stories to tell. And I was the catalyst of something, but ultimately what happened was really in conjunction with you know a great team of New Jersey educators and administrators. But what happened for me was I was reading a book and when I read, my brain goes off there in tangents. I have these ideas that are like branches off of a tree, the tree being the, the book. And I was reading this book and all of a sudden I went off on one of my little mental tangents and found myself with my iPhone in my hand looking up the New Jersey financial literacy standards and rereading them. Now, why that book sparked that at that moment, I cannot tell you. It was not the first time I had reviewed the financial literacy standards. It's a topic I'm interested in. However, it was the first time that I noticed that psychology of money and behavioral biases were not included in our standards and thought, hmm, that's really interesting. I wonder what it would look like if those areas were included in what our kids K through 12 were learning. Hmm, I wonder how we would get that done. And then I jumped to, well, who's in charge? I got to figure out who's in charge that I can talk to them. (laughs) Finding who was in charge was a little bit of a challenge, which I'll spare your audience from listening to, although I do have some tips on how to navigate if anybody's interested or you want to go down that road, Kathleen. But what ended up happening for me is I jumped on the New Jersey Education uh, Board of Education website and I started looking for who's in charge because I am not interested in teaching financial literacy. And I think that across the country, there is a lot of curriculum There are a lot of lesson plans. There are a lot of people who go in and teach. I was a little bit more interested in kind of a grassroots change that started from the top down, right? So as you mentioned earlier, only 21 states require financial literacy education as part of the high school graduation standard. 
I'm more interested in, well, how do we affect change from the top? But I'm just a grass, grassroots person trying to do that. It was a little bit of a, a long road to find the person, but I did ultimately find the person. And when I talked with him, I pitched the idea in three ways. I said, first, I am a mom of two sons who attend the New Jersey public school system. I am a financial advisor, and I have seen firsthand how not having a well-rounded financial literacy education can really impact someone. And I told this gentleman the story of someone named Fred, who I had come in contact with, who was potentially going to be a client of mine. Fred was 55 at the time I met him. He worked for a C-suite. He worked in the C-suite of a major public company. And he made with his stock options $1.1 million a year. And he had $55,000 saved. Now, Fred wow. did not need, yeah, Fred didn't need a financial advisor. He needed a financial therapist, which I'm not a therapist. I'm just therapeutic. And I was not able to help him. And I've never been able to forget Fred. It was one of the most extreme cases that I had ever come across. And Fred's outlook was that he was going to be able to maintain his lifestyle once he retired. And he really did not understand the disconnect between where he was at 55 and where he might be at 60 or 65 or 70. And that was all this gentleman needed to hear from me. Now, what I had prepared when I talked to him was a letter. I did have some sample lesson plans and my CV at the ready. My dumb luck was that New Jersey was actually reviewing all of their subject learning standards. A lot of states, not a lot, every state has periodic reviews of their learning standards for every subject. Well, New Jersey was entering that period and they were looking to form committees. So about three months later, I got a call back from this man who asked me if I would be interested in joining their financial literacy review committee, which is under careers and income in New Jersey. And I absolutely accepted for a couple of awesome. them. Yep. Yeah, one was no one's ever going to advocate your ideas better than you. And I wanted to be in the trenches with this. So it took from March of 2019 until the end of 2018, going back and forth to the Capitol, Trenton, New Jersey, to the, to the State Board of Education offices, countless numbers of time rolling up my sleeves, shoulders to shoulders with administrators and teachers from all across the state who are not paid to do this work, who all volunteer to parse every single word of these standards, to reorganize them, to throw out some standards that are just outdated, to update others, and then to create brand new line of items in the standards. And then ultimately we carved out an entirely new section called financial psychology. And it includes all of the things that we talked about. So New Jersey, by that little catalyst idea, because I did not accomplish that by myself, I just had the original idea. Yeah, you New also Jersey had the just, to pick up the phone and do something about it. So that's cool. 
Well, you know, you and I talked before this podcast, you know, the expression, be the change that you want to see in the world. There are be the change moments. And that's really what that was for me. What was the end result of you being on this committee and having this idea, reading a book that was probably somewhat unrelated? (laughs) It was totally unrelated. (laughs) The end result was we finished our work on that committee, like I said, in October of 2019, because it's, you know, state public education, the changes that we wanted to make, it has to go out for a period of public review. It did. And then uh, the State Board of Education reviewed our changes to the standards June of 2020, and they, they ratified everything. And they said, absolutely, we accept this, approved. And as of September of 2021, we're going to require that students from kindergarten through 12th grade in New Jersey learn this as part of our curriculum. So we I just, just became that. the first state. Yeah, it was, it was pretty great. And the first great. state. So what I want you to do with the time that we have remaining, Michelle, is talk a little bit about what each and every one of us can do and to try to get this into our state. If you're listening and you're really interested, and I know I'm interested and I know some people in Vermont that I can contact as well, but tell us what we would need to do in order to advocate for this change in financial literacy. So I'm going to break it down in two ways to look at it. I think the first is whether or not your state requires financial literacy education, because I think we're talking about two things. If your state already requires it, it's then about expanding the definition of financial literacy, like we've been talking about. So I think if your state already requires it, in a way, you have an easier you have an easier go ahead because you're not actually talking a state into making it a mandatory to begin with. So let's first start with the states who require it. An easy way to know whether or not your state does or does not is to check the Council for Economic Education's website. They have a report called Survey of the States. It's a biannual report, and it will tell you whether or not your state is or isn't included. So you can get clear about that first. Then I would find your state standards, and I would look up the New Jersey standards and just read them to compare them so you're familiar with what your standards look like, because every single state looks different from another. And something I learned in the process, even though you may have a state that has learning standards, every single local school district gets to decide how to how to implement those standards, right? The curriculum they're going to teach or how they're going to teach it. But what they have to do, what is unified is they all have to teach to a standard. So standards are not, here are the lesson plans. Standards are when you're done teaching this curriculum, that student should be able to fill in the blank, right? Discern the difference between a stock or a bond or know how to file their taxes as you talked about. So they're learning objectives, really. Correct. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yep. But start with, does your state require, if they do, look at your look at your state standards. And then if you want, compare them against New Jersey, because the the big distinction is that we have the financial psychology piece. 
then you have to start looking for who's in charge. And it could be as easy as going to your state board of education and looking it up, doing a search, you know, financial literacy, and the person in charge may pop up. Or you may have to do a little bit more digging. So looking at like career readiness um, or key skills, careers and income, sometimes financial literacy fits in under another bucket. So you may have to do a little bit of navigating to figure out who is it that I would talk to at the state education level. The other thing that I would say is go to your local school administrators or teachers, especially the ones that may teach financial literacy or financially um, financial literacy related subjects. And you'll find those social studies, math and economics are usually the subjects that financial literacy will get incorporated into and ask them for guidance. And the type of guidance that you're asking them for is not, hey, do you think this is a good idea? Because what you might run up against is a teacher who, and I respect teachers, who already have their plate full. And if you're adding another thing that they need to teach, you may get some pushback pushback there. What you're looking for is, hey, I'm interested in finding out you know, who I can talk to. Do you have connections at the State Board of Education? Right. So like I said before, this is grassroots from the top down. I'm just a big believer that you really want to get yourself in touch with the decision makers. And I think what we have to think about, too, with education and educators, they're very interested in what is going to help our children. At least that was my perspective. I found the New Jersey educators and administrators that I was in contact with, they were very, very open to this discussion because really they're preventative maintenance, right? If, if our educators can teach our children the tools and the skills and the psychology of what they need to know so that they can go off and do better in their lives, they're very interested in that. So I think it's something to really keep in mind that you're probably going to be met with people who are open to ideas because they're open to learning themselves and they're open to giving our children more learnings, just something to you know keep in mind. If your state does not include financial literacy as, as a requirement, again, you can check the Council for Economic Education website and look for the State of the States report to help get some guidance there. The Council for Economic Education website, they have a section on advocacy, which I would highly recommend looking at. The two things that I think are really helpful that they point out in particular, because all of it is helpful, is they will point you to the Council of Chief State School Officers and the National Conference of State Legislators. And both of those, you can find who is, you know, at the state level, who is in charge of all education, which it could be a good idea to reach out to that team of people. And then with the state conference of state legislators, you're going to drill down more into pending legislation. So let me talk about that for a second, because while I was going back and forth to Trenton and working on the standards, I started looking 
up lots of different financial literacy things. And I stumbled across this website. And if you do a search in this website, and again, it's the National Conference of State Legislators. I'll put all these links in the show notes just for people listening. They can definitely uh, click through and, and we'll make it easy for them to find this. Perfect. If you search financial literacy, what's really cool is this website. These people are running total basically of pending financial literacy legislation in each state. So you can look up, like, for example, I looked at it this morning in preparation for our talk today, Kathleen, and there are only 13 states out of the 50 that don't have pending legislation. So why that might be helpful is in addition to talking with school administrators, in addition to talking with state boards of education, if you're trying to get financial literacy mandated, you can also look at the bills that are on the floor that have been proposed by elected officials. Now what you have in your back pocket are elected officials who are interested in your topic, and they will be very receptive to having a conversation about financial literacy. And then the third level is talking to your local and your state elected representatives about this topic and getting it on the radar. And, you know, you can always use, I always say you can use New Jersey as a benchmark because we are the first state to bring out financial psychology and to mandate that for our students. But I think you can look at, if you're a state that's not including financial literacy as a requirement for high school graduation, you can benchmark it against just about any other state and say, hey, this state is offering this to our children. And what <laughs> the way I always like to talk about it is, okay, 21 states require financial literacy education for our kids. What, the kids in the other 29 states don't matter? That's really what we're saying here. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's really impactful. Um, I love that you gave us a step-by-step. -step. I'm going to put that in the show notes, a little summary of that. We are out of time, Michelle, but I want people to know where they can reach you, both if they're interested in working with you in your firm or learning more about how to be an advocate. So share with us, where can people find out more about your work? The two best places to find me are to send me a note on LinkedIn or a connection on LinkedIn, or go to my website, which is Michelle with two L's, ab.com. So michelleab.com. And you can send me an email there. You can sign up for my newsletter, reach out if I can help on this topic. Awesome. I suggest people go to the website and we'll put both links in there, but because there's a lot of exciting stuff that Michelle is up to. So you want to stay up to date. It's much more than just financial literacy. But thank you so much, Michelle, for breaking money silence on this topic with me today. Thank you, Kathleen. This episode is sponsored by Life Transitions by Dr. Amy. Helping financial advisors and their clients have deeper, more meaningful conversations so that life changes are better connected to financial plans. To find out more, visit dramy.life. Thank you for listening to Breaking Money Silence, hosted by Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, a wealth psychology expert, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection. If you like what you heard today, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app 
and leave a review. Also, share this episode with your friends and family. It is a great way to get the conversation started. For more money talk tips and information, or to hire Kathleen to speak at your next event, go to www.breakingmoneysilence.com.